Well, hey, welcome back to the Making Disciples Everyday podcast. My name is Jason Dukes, and I'm on team here with the Brentwood Baptist Family of Churches. And Paul Wilkinson, who is also on team, is here. Today we are both in charcoal hoodies. <laughs> yeah, unintentionally coordinated. <laughs> we, we, did not, we, and a, we did not intentionally do that. It's a quantum entanglement. We can't, that's, we that's, can't help it. That's One it, affects that's the it. other, even if we don't know it. There you go. There you go. So, uh, nonetheless, we are comfortable and hope you're comfortable. Uh, that was hokey, but yeah, I thought I'd say it. So, the listening in with us, we're excited about what God's doing, how He's challenging us as a church family to be about His mission, to be on mission with Him, to be disciple makers with Him. And, you know, a big part of being a disciple maker, obviously, is being a disciple of Jesus yourself. And I think it's important to remember that what he's making us to become is a disciple maker with him. And it's it's just life-giving. It's abundant life. And um, that's what it's about. It's not just about bringing someone else on as a church member or figuring out how to, you know, it really is about being life-giving, about this resurrection and what that might mean in someone else's life. And so I'm hopeful and excited that you've heard, if you've listened in, or if this is your first episode, we'll repeat it right now. You've heard the challenge that we've been giving this year and the prayer that we're praying that all of us, as listeners, uh, Paul and I included, that we would make one disciple with Jesus over the next 12 to 18 months, that we would invite along one person at least. And, And as you love people in your pathways and everyday life, as you uh, engage with them, it, all for the purpose of simply loving them and letting them know that they're worth dying for to Jesus and letting them know the value that they have. Then some of them welcome you into their life. Some of them welcome relationship. And and as they do, invite them along into the disciple-making rhythms, the abundant life rhythms that you have found with Jesus. And um, again, it's not about convincing them, I think, even as much as it is them seeing it and discovering it. That's right. I mean, I am followed Ron Nash in this, the first person I heard it from, one of my favorite philosophers, since passed on, but um, still listen to his stuff on, on iTunes, Yeah, uh, some of his lectures, but talks about the way we're sort of hardwired and built for the Lord. We see in mm-hmm. Romans 1, Romans 2, that God designed us to match his creation so we recognize his glory in it. God designed us with the moral conscience to recognize his goodness in us mm. and in the world. So even unapologetically where we talk about defending the faith and using arguments, he suggested, and I think he's right, that it's more like trying to wake someone up yeah. to what God's already done. That God is like when you buy a computer and it's front loaded with all that software and all that <laughs> other stuff, God has front loaded people with, with something of him. Yeah. And we're more trying to wake that up than convince them into some brand new, you know, set of propositions. And it's, it's not a bad way to think about disciple making either. I agree. I love it. And I think I, I think most, it, I, I, let me rephrase that because I can't say most, but I would say that of some of the Jewish teachings that I've heard on the salt and light idea from Matthew 5, I think we've talked about this before, that, that you know, it's not as much as Protestants, we've often taught that passage as, you know, well, I'm going to go be salt or be light to someone else and you know when when in essence if i am salt and light we often think of that as well i'm going to go and and you're going to taste something because of me 
or you're going to see something because of me. It's almost like I am the salt and light, and right. I'm going to show you Jesus. You're going to see Jesus in me. But it's it, and for, and from a more Eastern thinking standpoint, it's it's almost similar, but turns on its axis a little bit and says, no, 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 you're actually, you're salt, which means you're going to help them taste the Jesus in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not not taste the Jesus in you. you you're going to help them see because of the light, the Jesus that's already there, the truth. Yeah. That's right. The, the, like you said, the front loading that's already there. And that is a lot about, I think that's even a part of our own journey is, sure. I keep discovering whose I am. I keep discovering what that means. And then I get to invite along someone to also discover it. Yeah. And Mike Glenn, I think, says it this way. I'm reflecting on the sermon. I wish I could remember the topic or the text. But he does talk about salt in the sermon, and the purpose of it is to bring out flavor. Yeah. And I think that's partially what you're getting at. It's not that we're putting salt into these people to make them see Christ. It's that we're drawing Christ out of them in the work that God's already doing. Yeah. Having raised the sun up, drawing all men unto himself, we're, you know, we're sprinkling that with salt and bringing out the flavor in these people. It's good. Well, and and Chris Brooks with Kairos said something really meaningful um, recently in a message that actually was on uh, this passage because they're following along in this mm-hmm. series right. on Tuesday right. nights. They end up being a, a a a few days ahead, if that makes sense, of the Sunday. Um, so like what we will be, what we just did this past Sunday um, on restoration, Kairos did this past Tuesday night, February, what would that have been, 19th or they all 18th or whatever it is. <laughs> but so February 25th, Sunday, this restoration message that closes out the Big Story of God series um, among our family of churches, Kairos did that last Tuesday night. And it was, I really thought it was so cool. Um, he commented on how Dallas Willard, the great writer that I think Loved you Dallas and I Willard. both dig. Philosopher. Um, great philosopher, taught at USC for a long time. Um, we could brag on him probably for an entire podcast. But all that to say, he used to tell his granddaughter uh, when she would be leaving from his presence, whatever that was, like if they were seeing each other and she would be leaving, he would say to her, Dallas would say to his granddaughter, hey, give him heaven. Hmm. And you can, you know that's a play on words of another phrase, uh, you know, give him H-E double hockey sticks. <laughs> but, but all that to say, um, he made the comment that night, uh, you know, that, that this idea of even in the big story of God, that this blessing, that this isn't a return just to Eden. This is a going beyond that. Yeah. And the idea of, going into a full dwelling and a full presence of God and that heaven is what we're being made into and who Jesus is and it all comes together when we dwell together again. And so, you know, that's another part of being salt and light, of being disciple makers, is that we bring on earth as it is in heaven into the lives of people, not because of us, but because of what we ourselves are even seeing and discovering in the ways that we're walking with Christ. Right. And I think it's, it's a good reminder that when we say return to Eden, it's really return to status. We're <laughs> not talking about the location. That's right. We're not talking about the circum, the the sort of material circumstances of that. We're talking about relationally. That's right. We're returned to this unmediated, because even now we're in broken bodies and a That's broken right. universe. So in some ways our relationship is mediated through that brokenness. 
And in the new heaven and new earth we're going to talk about today, it's not that way anymore. That's right. And it's uh, just an incredible thing to look forward to. And I think the thing I've been most excited about these last four podcasts and playing on with these sermons is that this really gives us the theological impetus for why we make disciples. That's right. Uh, as we've talked about creation, separation, redemption, and then today restoration, it gives you the sort of the contextual groundwork for why make disciples at all and the you know the theology behind it and that's been really encouraging yeah i mean the story that we're our, we ourselves are continuing to learn and that we're hoping other people discover that story is the context of all of our stories i mean that's what we're up to and and so you know what a beautiful way to to help people catch and i agree it's compelling to think y- you we know something is bigger than us. Mm -hmm. So that's an element or a a heart cry of creation and there being a maker. You know, we we know that the world is broken because we see it. We know that there's a need for rescue and repair. And we hope, right, unless you've lost hope, um, there's a hope that there could be a way for that to be restored. And that's how this series has flowed. Mm -hmm. And so talk to us today about the text and about kind of what this particular message uh, was about. Yeah. So again, our, our primary text for these past four weeks has been John one ten and following that frames out the whole story together. Mm-hmm. But our specific text for restoration is going to be um, revelation 21 verses one through four. So I'll read those for us and we'll dive into, you know, what jumps out of the text. Great. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Hmm. And that's our promise. Yeah. And the down payment of the resurrection is what we get to look forward and have, have hope and have faith in. It's wonderful. It's incredible. I mean, not what, what is it about? Well, there's several thoughts that jump out to me in that. Um, you know, one is the idea in that text that talks about how, this dwelling is for God and his people to be together. And, and it's what he's making us to become. It's what he's, he's creating. And the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied about this. this yep. the, the first coming of Jesus was the, was the initiation of it, of that full restoration. And the second coming will be the consummation of that full restoration. And it's quite an engagement uh, to use the Jewish marriage metaphor. I mean, that's that's a lot of what is used in the ways that the New Testament talks about this, and and um, and so it, it jumps out because I think if we're honest, we're we all are longing. Well, mo- I'll put it this way: a lot of folks I talk with, whether they're believers or not, definitely are longing for repair. They're right. longing for this thing we all live in and the circumstances that we face and 
and the struggles that we walk through, they're longing for it to not be broken. Yeah. And for those tears to be wiped away. It's the away. one thing I've never had trouble convincing anyone of. Like you say, whether believer or unbeliever, everyone admits and recognizes that something is not quite right yeah. with the way things are. Yeah, even if even if they don't want to talk about quote-unquote sin mm-hmm. in the way that some have done in church history, even if they don't want to have conversation about some of the condemning ways that they feel like... Um, someone or the church in history has talked about that it's not hard to get them to admit not only the brokenness around them but even the selfishness that's in them and they may not always equate that with sin although that's the the root of it sin is the it, sin has this weird dynamic it's both the symptom of our selfishness as well as representative of the evil one who is mm-hmm. you know trying to traumatize us toward that selfishness and that self-absorption, and I think, um, I think in that sense, with this glimpse and this hope of the bride of the city of God, uh, is so significant. Would you Would you agree? Do we Do we have so many misconceptions of heaven that that it maybe it's almost like the evil one has attacked even the idea of heaven? And, and cause so many misconceptions of it so that we, we lose the sense of hope and awe and beauty of what it really is. Like, in other words, we, yeah. we think of it as this place with gold streets and all these other elements, and, and maybe we really miss what it really is or who it really is in that process. Yeah, and I think, well, I, I can't speak for everybody, Sure. The, the generic us, but I can speak for me, is that I didn't understand it for a long time until I taught through Revelation here, uh, did a series and came to understand the big story. Yeah, And I think where we get lost in it is when we forget the big story, when yeah. we forget that creation was good originally, that Eden was good, that the relationship with God and his creatures was good. So we long for, we, I would say it's often in popular culture that we long for a disembodied state. Hmm. We long for an immaterial existence to get out of this body and this material world. Yeah. And that's not what the Bible pushes us towards. Yeah. That's not our hope. Yeah. Paul even says that's a strange state. Yeah. That souls are designed for bodies. It's weird when they're not in the body. Yeah. Now he said, I would prefer to be a soul not sinning against the Lord than a soul trapped in a broken body sinning against the Lord. But our ultimate hope is a physical, it's a physical hope. It's a Mm -hmm. material reality. So I think when we lose track of that big story, that creation was good, that we rebelled and corrupted it, but Christ has redeemed it and it ultimately will be restored, that lets us put it back into the proper context that, one, it's about relationship slash God's presence, yeah. and two, it is going to be a physical reality. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and dwelling, the word that's used in the text mm-hmm. here, you know, that will dwell. I mean, that's what the prophets prophesied about. It's what John 1. It's what the whole Bible longs it, for. It's what it's all pointing to. And and it's what it intended. It's what yeah. it's been longed for. It's it's what's it's it's all saying. This is to come. And I we mean, mentioned that, it previously. I know we talked about it in the creation episode about three episodes ago, but that creation was God's temple, and put us here as priests over His temple. Yeah, that is the universe. And then we see we talked about the New Testament concept of the believer as temple, 
So I, I want people to catch all of that language in here. Yeah. Like how significant was it for Solomon to build the temple? Yeah. How significant was it for um, Nehemiah to rebuild the temple? Yeah. How devastating was it for the temple to be destroyed in yeah. 70 AD? Jesus's language in John 4 with the woman at the well. Yeah. Her, her problem is, where am I going to worship? Over here with the Samaritans in that temple, do I finally get to come to the Jerusalem? Yeah. You know, the real temple? Yeah. And no, no, you worship in spirit and truth. That's right. And what we see here is that God himself descending with the new Jerusalem, establishing his temple again in the people. So it's always God initiated and it's always God's presence filling that place. Well, and it's crazy, but you see it in Ephesians 2, you see it in this text, you see it in Jeremiah, you see it in Hosea. I mean, he's making us into his new dwelling place. Right. We are his sanctuary. Like that's what Paul writes in Ephesians. And and even and he even says this weird statement at the beginning of chapter two in Ephesians when he says, and and he's doing this in order to put us on almost to show us off in the heavens. Like like almost like pointing to the evil one and the troops that went with him, the tribe that that went sided with him to say, No, I do love these and look how much I love them. I I I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be with them and even form them together into my dwelling. And, and, you know, I think, I think, I think a couple of things, I love that you pointed to the temple element, because I do think from the standpoint of how this affects kind of shifting into how this affects disciple making, like in the everyday of our lives, I, we've got to move past the idea that we're just trying to get people out of hell and into heaven. We, yeah. Although this eternal aspect of it is very important, and it's what gives hope. And, and I think Chris Brooks says it well, that what you think about the future, about tomorrow, has a lot to do with determining what you do today. Yes. <clears throat> and I, so I think that aspect of it is huge. So please don't hear me belittling or diminishing that aspect of it. But when we only think about the fire insurance or the ticket out of hell and, and, and no, we want to get people into heaven, you know, that's missing half, in my opinion, mm-hmm. of what Jesus and maybe even maybe that's not even a healthy fraction, because I don't know that Jesus talked about the after death aspect of it as much as he talked about the heaven, that the kingdom is here. Yeah. That, well, that, what it blinds us too, and I don't know that we mentioned it specifically last week in the, um, in the Redemption podcast, but that the kingdom has been inaugurated. This yes. has already been inaugurated. That's right. That's right. And you said it earlier, the spirit's a down payment of it. Like, like it's almost like we miss because, so from an everyday disciple-making standpoint, don't just think in terms of how do I get you to make a decision now so that you don't go to hell? Mm. Don't, no, no, no. Also, and even maybe even more importantly, think in terms of how do I help people? How do I understand and grow in understanding? And how do I help other people recognize that heaven is here? too like this 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 aspect of it this this way that god has inaugurated it that jesus coming in that first coming inaugurates that it 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 points us toward it and looks toward it eternally but it brings it into the now as well and so we get to be as he prayed on earth as it is in heaven we get to bring 
that heaven element into earth by his kingdom, by his spirit, as the church, as his followers, through disciple-making. And so, so don't miss that. Don't miss how beautiful and significant every single time you engage with someone who is yet to discover their identity in Christ, and you truly love them. You're not just proselytizing. You, it's not a project. It's not a checkbox. You genuinely love them and want them to have abundant life like you have found. And don't miss that that is a way of bringing on earth as it is in heaven and helping them to see it. Yeah, and I'm thinking about the contrast that you just painted there because I think I think in terms of just the the pure fire insurance, the Yeah. And it is a motivator. We don't want to see people eternally separated no from doubt. the Lord. No doubt. Um, that 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 is a proper and good motivator. But if that is your driving force, then any souls as good as any other. Mm. I really don't care who's in front of me. Yeah. I just want to get them out of it. And I think the disciple making we're talking about and what Christ releases us to in the Great Commission, make disciples of all peoples, and the language about I have sheep in other flocks and in other fields, rather. It, it, we, we can't miss the person. That's right. And I think disciple-making slows us down just long enough where we don't see this as a unit that needs to be saved, yeah. but we see it as an individual who needs to know Christ yeah. and what Christ has done for, for him or her. So I, I, do, I do like that that contrast in our future hope of the material physical reality and the unmediated presence of God should drive that. Yeah, no doubt. Because we should want to be that presence in this yet to believe person's life. Yeah, I mean, to use the Old Testament language, it's very much a tabernacle idea, Mm -hmm. a temple idea in the everyday. But here's what's dangerous, right? We can get so caught up in what happens at a church building We can even still call the church building the house of God. But at the risk of offending someone, let me say to you, that's not a New Testament idea. Correct. Yeah. Like you and I, as God is shaping his people together, are the new house of God. What are your your favorite set of prepositions? Yeah, the to, in, at, and from, right? Like those, those four prepositions are never used with the word church in the New Testament. And yet it's the primary way that we talk about church. That's the evil one distracting us from from understanding that when you dine at your table with some others who believe and people that don't believe, with people who've yet to believe, when you have your table open and welcome, and that's an element of the kingdom of God forecast, right? That's a for that's a that's a what's the right way to think about it? That's a foreshadowing of what is to come, to sit at the table with Jesus, right? When you serve among those who need the most, but you don't see yourself as superior to them, you subject yourself to give life, resurrection into their lives, to bring on earth as it is in heaven. When you serve and invite others along to serve with you, you're bringing the temple and the tabernacle into that moment. You're bringing the presence of God into that moment. Let's not get distracted by only what happens in a church building. Let's remember you guys that are listening and everybody that's a follower of Jesus, we've been given this incredible opportunity to bring the sanctuary of God into the living rooms and marketplaces 
and recreational halls and coffee shops mm-hmm. all around us and all around the world, we have this chance of bringing on earth as it is in heaven by being the sanctuary of God in the midst of those people. And in, and then and it, and I don't mean those people in an us and them way. I mean we the people get to experience <laughs> that sanctuary of God right. because we begin to see that what we do in the everyday of our lives as disciple makers it is this foreshadowing of the ultimate sitting around the table with Jesus yeah. the ultimate no more crying no more mourning no more tears it's this beautiful way that you get to usher that in now yeah and i had just yesterday somebody asked me why is life so hard hmm. why is life so difficult um and my answer was because life's broken and I pretty much went through this list. Yeah. <laughs> Death, grief, crying, pain will be no more in the future hope. Until then, we are going to have to wrestle with thorns and right. battle the earth for produce and all the rest of it. It's one of my big failures, and I don't know how to actually do it hmm. because we don't use kingdom language very much anymore. I agree. And I don't know that Jesus used a term, a concept anyway, any more than he used the concept of kingdom. There's no doubt in in his in his life and ministry that we have recorded in the Gospels, and it's such a foreign concept to us. I agree. And I don't crave a monarchy. I don't want one. Don't hear that. Yeah. But it was the gift of Dallas Willard to me, and I'll reference this in in the equipping moment what, what that actually was. But when you see yourself as a kingdom person, the kingdom that's already been inaugurated in Christ with the security of his resurrection as the you know the proof down payment of it 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 changes how yes, you do things it does the kingdom's such strange yeah it's such strange language to us yeah and yet that ought to be the driving thing that you are a kingdom citizen of christ as an adopted child of god no question that's, that's the motivator well and he, and here's the thing that gets and us those in trouble believe aren't we I want agree. them in our kingdom. We want I, them in the family. That's exactly right, because God wants them in the family. And if you don't believe me, go read John 6. Mm. I mean, Jesus says it point blank. Last night, somebody that, that uh, my wife and I got to hang out with some um, who's definitely wrestling with what she believes about God. Um, you know, it was interesting. One of her questions was, does God really have, she's in a philosophy class right now. On medieval philosophy, not mine. Okay, yeah. good, good. What you know, medieval philosophy. Oh no, am I corrupting like, her? <laughs> I know you're not. But one of the but medieval, medieval philosophy, you know, is that's one of the darkest times of religion and philosophy, I think. And 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 so she's definitely wrestling with some very dark elements of what, like who God is or who religion portrays Him to be. And she was asking some great questions. And and one of the questions she asked was, Does God have a will? Right. And, and that we don't have to get into the podcast right now as to why she asked that question. That's a big discussion. But but, but it was interesting. I, I, I turned to John 6 and I read her this. And uh, I said, well, Jesus says he does. Mm. You know, and, and so I, I read her this, this verse from uh, John 6, 29 says, this is the work of God that you believe in the one that he has sent. But then in John six thirty nine and 40, Jesus says, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he's given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Yep. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
And to double down on that real quick before you, you know, bring it home, Peter reiterates that. Why is God Christ delaying in his second coming? That's well, right. so more people can come to faith. He's doing it for our benefit. No doubt. Paul writing to Timothy, God desires all people come to salvation. Right. And, and, and then philosophically, people will ask the question, why doesn't God just fix it right now? Right. Yeah. Well, the flip side of that is because the seeds of evil and the brokenness that we see all around us is now so ingrained and implanted into us yeah. that if he did try to fix it, it would wipe all of us out. And that's not yeah. his will. And one fun answer, if an unbeliever asks you that, it's because you're not in the family yet. <laughs> God's right. not returning because he's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. <laughs> that's exa- that's you. right. That's right. Come on. But I think what's so beautiful and what, what I think we want to be careful of, we can't imagine a Christian empire. Yeah. We have to imagine the kingdom of God with the kind of king that says, I'll die for you. Mm. And, and we, that's the danger. I think in our disciple-making efforts, we can think it is the kingdom of God and it should be a Christian. No, no, no. Even Jesus himself, he is the only good king. Yeah. There is no other truly, purely good king other than Jesus. Mm. And so when you, when you say, when you go and live as a citizen of his kingdom, you are basically submitting to the idea that you may lose everything. Yeah. That's the way of our king. Yep. But if you do, you gain everything. That's right. Which he said. No, no, you lose your life for my sake yeah. and you will and you'll gain it. Gain it yeah. Right? Like like I mean it, it's it's this idea, but but what we do typically is we go, No, I'm gonna go fight for the kingdom and we need a Christian environment. That's not what he did. Right. If anything, he went stealthy with it. Which is why tell he says in, in, in Mark, I think it is. And well, it's in several different of the gospels, but when he talks about leaven, Mm -hmm. the kingdom of God is like leaven. A little bit of it goes into the bread and it changes the whole constitution of the bread. Like, like we, we are to be yeast like, not like we're the, we're, we're princes and princesses and we now get to rule. No, 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 no. We're, we are almost like stealthy, silent warriors for the king (laughs) who go and even the one who was speechless in the moment where he could have said all he wanted to say to accuse his accusers, but he kept silent, right? We, we, it's not that we need to keep our mouths shut, but we need to let our mouths speak the truth of a loving, good king, not of just some Christian empire that now. So when I go declare King Jesus, my life, what would my life look like if I truly was declaring in my everyday I'm a citizen of King Jesus's kingdom. Here's what his kingdom looks like, right? How do we bring that? Because that's bringing on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm already, yeah, because I'm already tasting it now. That's right. And we see it in our stories. I'm thinking of Lord of the Rings in particular here, but we see it in other movies and other stories. The contrast of kings. That's right. The king that sits up in the palace safe while he sends others to die for his name's sake or whatever. And then we have the king that leads, the king that's out front and leads the charge. And that's our king. Our king's already done it, already accomplished the battle. Why why are we not more confident in that? It's good. It's good. So equipping moment. Hmm. I'll share mine. Good. And you bring yours because mine's a recommendation rather than an equipping moment. Hmm. 
I think recommendations can be equipping. Yeah. So we mentioned Dallas Willard a couple of times, and one book that changed my life that really helps you understand this kingdom purpose. He likes the language of apprentice, being an apprentice of Jesus is Divine Conspiracy. Mm, it's good. And it's not it's not the easiest read, but it is an accessible read, I think. Yeah. And I would encourage you, if you've never read that, to read it. Yeah. And and really saturate and soak in it. Yep. Um, or come talk to me about it, and I'll help you and walk through it with you, because I think it's that important. I agree. And for me, it really woke me up to the idea that the conspiracy is, in fact, that the kingdom's already at hand. That's right. And let's live into that boldly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, man, I you know, from an equipping standpoint, if you if if you want to really challenge let's say you're walking with some folks who are just stuck on the Christian empire idea more than the kingdom of God that's a humble serving good king. Um and that's present huge in the southern United States. And let's say that that's the deal. I would encourage you to equip people with the prophet Hosea. You know, because here's Jesus, here's God saying to Hosea, "Hey, I, I want you to marry a prostitute. I want you to stay faithful to her. And I want you to love her and love her and love her and love her and love her." And you see this incredible moment in chapter two, where where he says through the prophet, "I'm going to take Israel out again," and you think it's going to be leave her out into the wilderness is where you think he's going with it, right? But it turns on the comma, and he says, and I'm going to marry her all over again. Hmm. And then he prophesies what this message is about. He says, and and the people who were, quote, unquote, not my people will be my people, and they will say, you are my God, and I will dwell with them. I mean, that's, and then so in Hosea 3, at the end of Hosea 3, he goes on to say, there will come a day when people fear God for his goodness. Hmm. Right. And that's like if you want to if you want to be shaken, rattled for a good like two, three years, go dwell on that idea. Mm -hmm. Right. Like what does that mean to fear God for his goodness? Right. But I think you see in the Hosea story this what a kingdom of God life can look like. And that it's not a good marketing piece. Hmm. Right. Like Jesus needed a new marketing firm because the marketing firm that we see throughout the scriptures is one that calls people to lay down their lives, yep. that calls people to say, this isn't about your safety. This Offensive is, and extraordinary. You know, yes. And, you know, and, 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 and I, we say all that, but I think, I think what we've really got to wrestle with as you're equipping, in the, especially if you're equipping in the southern United States, we've got to challenge people to understand a kingdom of God life looks very different mm -hmm. than my city being a Christian city. It may look like a, a king living and, and, and putting his love and goodness out throughout a city, even if it never gets noticed and recognized by the people that oversee the governance of that city. It may, they may see it. Hopefully there's that kind of city change. Yeah, that's right. But, but it isn't just about legislating this, or it isn't just, and I'm not saying don't get involved in politics. That's not my point. I think you should. But I think even if you do, you still have to act like there's one good king and his name's King Jesus. And so whatever domain of culture you engage in, you know, read that Hosea story and ask yourself, man, how am I living out that kind of love and faithfulness and goodness and mercy 
and, and the way that Hosea the prophet, how am I helping people fear God for his goodness, right, in my life? And, um, and so process that because I think the implications of that are significant. Yeah, and that's a king whose family I want to be in. That's mm. a king who I want to battle with and I want to go make disciples with. It's good. Nothing like it. I agree. Well, that the series wraps. It has wrapped up, and uh, and it and it it has closed out. And on this past Sunday, yeah, let February me encourage 25th. you take this series with you in everything else you hear from the pulpit this year. That's right. R- listen to everything in the context of God's big story, and it's going to change how you see the world. No it's doubt, how you relate. And that was the intent of our teaching pastors in wanting to put right. this series up front. You know, That's to right. say That's exactly right to say here are the glasses we want you to put on for the rest of the year. So see everything else that they walk through through this lens. It's good. Um, So just to review again, right? It's creation, it's separation, redemption, restoration, um, big story of God, and John 1, 10 through 13. Why don't we read that to wrap up uh, on this? And that's been the text that kind of is an underlying text for all of this. And thanks to David Hanna and the teaching pastors, others for putting this together and And I think it's a beautiful way to step into the next series, which I'll introduce after we read this text to close out this last one. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's good. So good. Thankful for that. It's a, if, there's, if, 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 if all the Bibles in the world one day, the printed Bibles, were not available anymore, and you had to memorize any one section of the text, I had a mentor tell me not too long ago, this was about, Golly, when was that? Probably, I guess it was 12 or 14 years ago now. Actually, maybe time passes faster than I think, but um, encouraged me. John 1, make that one so stuck in your heart and mind that you that you can't miss the story of God around you. And he, they're right, man. I think put this in your heart and mind and let this big story be the way that we see the things that we read in the Scriptures, the way that we see each other, the way that we see the world. And so next episode, we'll dive into uh, the disciple-making in the everyday and the way that the the seven sayings of the cross uh, compel us in that. It's going to be a series on Christ and the suffering of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And one of our teaching pastors, Brandon Owen, is putting this one together. And it will lead us up from March 1st through Easter. And so hard to believe that we're already there. Um, being from New Orleans, that's also a sign that, that there's king cake available, by the way. So not to not to make it irreverent. I think that's irreverent personally because I think if Jesus was here, he would eat king cake with you. But nonetheless, um, appreciate uh, you, Paul. And, and it's just a, so fun to walk through these together. And I hope that You've been encouraged by this today. If you have any questions or feedback, you're welcome to send it to us. Jay Dukes at BrentwoodBaptist.com or P. Wilkinson at BrentwoodBaptist.com. 
and we look forward to touching base with you on the next episode.